Layman's is proud to sponsor this episode of Self-Sufficient Life. Authentic, practical, and American-made, Layman's offers time-tested products to help you live a simpler life. Find Layman's online at lehmans.com. For much of the last century, the promise of big cities has lured the youngest and brightest minds away from small towns. But more and more successful urban professionals are changing course and heading to rural America. Hey, it's Tim Young of the TheSelfSufficientLife.com, and today I'll share the story of a Manhattan couple trying to flee the rat race before they get trapped by success. Today you're going to meet James Ray, a single New Yorker in his late 20s, as our story begins. So, where to begin? Let's see, James had a high-paying job that he was really good at. And he was in love with a fantastic woman who had her own great career. So they'd eat out, take in shows and movies, maybe read the New York Times on Sunday mornings. You know, they had loads of friends and colleagues close by. And they would just pick up and go out on a moment's notice to hang out, talk politics and whatnot. You know, do whatever successful urban couples do. James would wake up each weekday, put on a suit and tie, you know, like pretty much anyone else on Wall Street. His girlfriend, Eileen, She'd get ready to head to her job in fashion design. They'd kiss, say goodbye, then head their separate ways. And they'd each put in, I don't know, 10, 12 hours at least every day. Sometimes Eileen's job would take her far away. India, China, places like that. So they'd be apart for a while, living their separate work lives. Then they'd meet up again in their apartment. You know, they did what busy, successful couples do in a city like New York. But one day, in early 2011... Something changed. It was the day their lives turned upside down. And as James walked to the subway that morning, he didn't even hear it. The constant sounds of his environment, people and jackhammers, sirens and horns, that was the world he knew. He never even heard it. It was just background noise of his world, the sound of man, of machine. So after a quick stop at the coffee shop, James would just push through the turnstile. He had a journal tucked under his arm, a cup of coffee in one hand, a bagel in the other, and he inched forward. He was just one of the herd, doing what everyone else did in the city that never sleeps. Oh, I mean, he had no complaints about the money he was making or how convenient life was, although everything was expensive. Rent, food, cabs. So... If he wasn't careful, he could easily spend the money as fast as he made it. But still, he had every reason to continue on the successful path he was on. But something had been gnawing at him for some time. He he had this idea that seemed, I mean, I guess you could call it crazy. Risky, to be sure. It was ludicrous. So he tried to suppress the notion. He just kept it to himself for months. He hadn't even told Eileen about it. But now, on this day, he reached a key decision point, and he had to make a choice. And that's how it was on a cold morning in 2011, when James faded into an endless sea of suits and walked down the subway stairs. The train screeched to a halt, and James wedged through the door and grabbed a seat. As the train lurched forward, he just stared out the window into the darkness. Most mornings, you know, he thought about rates of return, spreadsheets, meetings, something 
related to his investment banking job. But not that day. No, on that frigid morning, he was thinking of getting engaged. In fact, he was planning to propose to Eileen that night, and he was nervous. But not about proposing. I mean, that was the easy part for James. No, he was certain that Eileen was the woman for him. He was nervous about something he had to ask her first. In fact, he was more than nervous. He was downright afraid of how she would respond. You see, he knew how important her fashion design career was to her. Eileen had told James that she had dreamed of designing ladies' clothes ever since she was a little girl. It was her dream job, and he knew it. But James was in investment banking, and investment banking wasn't his dream job at all. For James, it was just a means to an end, and he was now approaching that end. Here, let James tell you how he got into it. I kind of got into it because of student loans. So when I was in college, I kind of reflected on my financial situation and decided that it was going to be a disaster if I didn't graduate with a really high paying job. And so went online and Googled like high paying undergraduate, you know, jobs and investment banking came up and I kind of just set my sights on that and do that job until I had all my student loans paid off. And it would hopefully give me a good enough background to transition into other Um, you know, make me employable in other industries. um, And I could just kind of ride it out from there. I didn't really have a timeline for that. He may not have had a timeline, but here he was feeling some urgency, some pressure. So he had the ring picked out. He had the dinner plan, candles and flowers. But before popping the question, James had to ask a sensitive question first. A question that I was always taught you're not supposed to ask your partner. James wanted to know if Eileen would be willing to change for him. So when they sat down that night for dinner and Eileen saw the candles, who knows? Maybe she expected James to pop the question. And before long, he did ask her a question. And then another. And throughout dinner, James peppered Eileen with intimate questions. Questions about her dreams, her aspirations what she wanted out of life. When we sat down and talked about it, we realized that those were just childhood dreams. They weren't our adult kind of grown up dreams. And that if we really wanted to make a change, we needed to do it before we got older, before we got trapped um, by the money, by the lifestyle, by stuff like that. And so, you know, when I brought it up, it was a surprise to Eileen. Uh, Of course, because these were a lot of really detailed, intimate questions about things that we hadn't talked about before. So she was totally surprised, um, you know, and may or may not have cried a little bit. Yeah, I can imagine, right? I mean, one minute you're living your dream as a fashion designer in the city. Then this investment banker asks you to get married. So far, it sounds like your typical fairy tale. Only in this fairy tale, the prince wants to haul you to a faraway land to milk cows with him. So yeah, I can see how the tears might have flowed. But you got to admire what James and Eileen were doing in that dinner conversation. I mean, most people just do each day what they did the day before, without asking questions. But James and Eileen talked about what they wanted, what a dream life would look like for them. Then they concocted a plan to pursue their dream. So yeah, of course Eileen was caught off guard that night. Who wouldn't be? But as they talked for hours about what they really wanted... Eileen came to see what James meant, and I guess to her surprise, 
she found out that she was on the same page. So Eileen slowly began to nod as James spoke, and she agreed that even though they had achieved their childhood dreams, they weren't really as happy as they had anticipated. They were just working to pay their rent. Like most folks, get up, go to work, get a paycheck, pay your bills, repeat the next week. That wasn't how they wanted to spend the rest of their lives. So they took action. They decided to drastically change their lives. And the initial thought of that was overwhelming. It was terrifying. And so the tears flowed. But those tears and that dinner conversation marked the first step that James and Eileen would take in pursuit of a new American dream. The pursuit of a more simple life. To realize that dream, they'd have to make a clean break. They'd have to start fresh, which meant they'd have to muster the courage to do something that very few people are willing to do. Walk away from a lot of security. Okay, so what? Maybe they weren't earning millions of dollars, but they had good incomes and they were savers. So they felt they were on a secure path to success. And their bosses? Well, they were earning millions. And James and Eileen were on a similar trajectory. Now they were talking about walking away from all that. Why? So you get caught up in the cycle, and that's why me and Eileen decided to leave and do our own thing before we got caught up in that. And I think a lot of times you get caught in that trap when you have kids, when you have a career, and you're already working in New York City. So we kind of, um, or in any city, you know, and in the industry, and um, where where you are making a good salary and you are living a lifestyle that you then can't afford to give up. Um, and so we just decided before we were, we were going to have kids um, and before we got too far along in our career paths to just nip it in the bud and start elsewhere because looking at um, the people in our industries that were higher up than us where kind of our career trajectory was headed, um, looking at their lives um, or multiple lives, you could say, was not the most appealing thing for us. So. Um, you know, we just wanted to, you know, pull away from that as soon as possible. Hmm. Caught up in the cycle. Yeah, so James recognized the path their fast-paced lives were on, and I guess they didn't like where it was headed. But jumping off that path meant getting as far away as possible from the hectic consumption lifestyle they were immersed in. But they wanted a simpler life, not an impoverished life. They still wanted to find a way to earn money, you know, for travel, retirement, security, just for stuff. Prior back to the land movements, had just been about, you know, simply growing food and living more simply. But people seldom found a way to earn money, or at least good money, when they retreated to the country. But now times were changing. James and Eileen's desire to change happened when agrarian lifestyles were starting to emerge as an intriguing alternative to city life. Farmers markets, you know, like the Union Square Green Market in New York, were booming and packed with sustainable farmers and artisan food producers. And these artisan producers, they weren't just small mom and pop farmsteads. I mean, some of them were big. Here's an example of what I mean. Beecher's Handmade Cheese of Seattle had just announced the opening of a store two blocks north of Union Square. Now, when you think of artisan cheese, you tend to think of mom and pop operations. But this store would produce 3,000 pounds of artisan cheese a day as consumers watched through the glass windows. 
So what is that? 3,000 pounds a day. That's a lot of cheese. $30 a pound. That's $90,000 a day or about 30 million bucks a year just for artisan cheese. Not exactly mom and pop. And leading chefs were clamoring for local food and artisan food, in part thanks to all the frequent media coverage, organizations like Slow Food, and the best-selling books by authors like Michael Pollan and Barbara Kingsolver. The industries for artisan cheese and sustainably produced meats were rapidly growing, kind of following the trail that craft breweries had blazed before. And technology was making it easier to connect rural businesses with urban markets. That is, if the farmer had adequate business skills and marketing savvy. But James and Eileen had those skills in abundance. So all these trends allowed James and Eileen to visualize a way they could use their experience and these market trends to sculpt another life for themselves. A better life, they thought. So the couple realized there was a demand for farm and artisan products, but there was a tiny problem. Neither James nor Eileen had any farming experience whatsoever. And while their family supported their dream, friends and colleagues were worried they were making a mistake. We have super supportive family, so they just kind of wanted us to do whatever was going to make us happy and, you know, um, kind of cheered us on and probably held their breath a lot from the sidelines. And then our colleagues, um, for sure, I would say were a little more inquisitive and, um, you know, just hoping that we survived and didn't, uh, you know, do anything to impair our livelihoods. <laughs> they were probably more worried about us. Yeah, so, of course, friends and colleagues seemed perplexed. I mean, of course they would. They thought James and Eileen were already living the American dream. I mean, they both had great jobs in a modern city that offered everything. What's not to love about that? But just as entrepreneurs stubbornly pursue a dream that others can't see or don't share, James and Eileen were undeterred amidst their friend's skepticism. Like many people who've abandoned corporate jobs for farming in recent years, James and Eileen represent a shift in the way we're thinking about the American dream. So they just plunged ahead. They got married. They saved all they could, and they began looking for a place to farm. James and Eileen knew they wanted to work together, not go their separate ways each day like they had been. They were both entrepreneurial and had typical entrepreneurial confidence. So they were undeterred by their lack of farm experience or their friend's skepticism. They just visited the markets and read stories of others who had taken the leap from the boardroom to the barnyard. And that made them feel a bit less crazy. Like, you know, maybe it was something they could do. So they kept their day jobs and they stayed up late each night daydreaming about a life on the farm. They were so excited that they went ahead and gave their farm a name, Little Seed Farm. Then they went ahead and created a website and started blogging about their plans. Hey, this was in June 2011, a good year or two, at least they estimated, before they'd actually opt out of the rat race. They shared their starry-eyed vision in their blog, inspiring readers, gaining confidence as readers encouraged them to go ahead, jump and take the leap. They initially blogged under pseudonyms, James as Scrapple, Eileen as Sweetbreads. Of course, they kept their real identities hidden from readers. No, 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 they weren't running from the law, anything like that. They just didn't want to put their careers at risk and take a chance their bosses or colleagues might connect the dots. Not yet, at least. And in the following months, 
They solidified a vision for what they actually wanted to do when they did start farming. Originally, what we wanted to do was um, produce farmstead cheeses, and um, we knew that if, if we were going to do that the way we wanted to, which was to be 100% grass-fed, um, we would need to be in an area where there was a substantial amount of rainfall. They did the research, figured they'd need at least 36 inches of rain per year, enough to grow grass for a grazing operation. But most dairies feed high-energy grain to increase milk production in cows. The rays, they wanted to go the tough route. They wanted to operate a 100% grass-based dairy. But that would allow them to tap into a growing market niche of consumers, ones who frowned upon feeding soy or grain to cows, thanks largely to Michael Pollan's revelations in the book The Omnivore's Dilemma. So they knew how much rain they needed, but they still had to find a place to farm. And it's nice to have family close by because farming's hard work. But James and Eileen's families lived in Vermont and New Mexico. The rainfall requirement, you know, it ruled out pretty much most of the Southwest. So that left the Pacific Northwest or pretty much most of the land east of the Mississippi. The rays quickly rode out Vermont too, because, you know, let's face it, you get some cold winters in New York and they had enough. So they looked south. We were looking in the Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee area just for climate purposes and eventually settled on Tennessee. So they searched and they searched and searched. They had several criteria they were hoping to check off the list. I mean, for sure, the property had to be affordable. That was first. They were taking a financial risk, and they needed to maximize their savings. Of course, the land needed to have adequate pasture for the cows to graze. You're not going to have a grass-fed operation without grass. And the rays needed a house to live in, too. Hopefully, one not in need of too much repair. And if they could find it, it'd be nice to be reasonably close to a city any city, just to have something to do from time to time. But the months went by. They found lots of properties, but they were all expensive, way too expensive, you know, to support a farm. Then back in New York, one night, they stumbled across a farm in foreclosure, and it was within an hour of Nashville. Eventually, one night, I think I'd, we had been looking for maybe six months or so, um, one night I was at work and came across uh, this property on a website of a broker who I'd never seen before. And it wasn't a very well-marketed property. And he had a whole bunch of these um, large acreage farm houses available. And so I found one that kind of uh, fit our criteria, which was right around 100 or so acres. Um, it was 84 acres and had a house that looked like we could move right in and um, not have to totally gut it. And so I called him. It was listed at about twice what we could afford, but it had been on the market for, it was about three or four years. So I think they listed it right before the 2008 real estate collapse. And this was now 2011 and it hadn't sold. So my view was, hey, you know, I'll call this guy and make him an offer and see if maybe, you know, it's going into foreclosure or something and they'll take it. So I called the agent, got on the phone with them, said, Hey, I'm looking at this property. Here's what we can offer. I don't want to offend you or the farm owners, but I wanted to throw it out there and see what you thought. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll call the bank. I'll call you right back. You know, and right then I kind of knew that's great. You know, he's calling the bank. That's a good, that's a good situation. So he called me back maybe five or 10 minutes later. And he, he said, you know, the bank agreed to it. If you can close within 30 days. 
So I'm reminded now of a Dwight Eisenhower quote. He's credited with saying, farming looks mighty easy when your plow is a pencil and you're a thousand miles away from the cornfield. And what he meant by that is, hey, things always seem easy in theory, much easier than in practice. Yeah, and the race found that out a few days later when they flew down to see their new farm. A thousand miles away in New York, James and Eileen had visualized starting a grass-based dairy. But a grass-based dairy requires a key ingredient that was conspicuously absent from the new farm. The only drawback was the pasture. There was about 35 or so acres of the 84 in pasture, um, which, which was manageable. But it was like goat paradise. I mean, briars, wild rose, just pretty much anything that a cow would not eat but a goat would. Nothing's perfect. James and Eileen love the property, briars and all, but if they bought it, they'd have to abandon their plans of milking cows to make cheese. So they talked about it, they mulled it over for a couple of days, and then they had an idea. Why not milk goats instead? It was something they hadn't even researched or considered. They never thought about starting a goat dairy, but they were at that point of unbridled enthusiasm for their new life. Anything seemed possible, or at least so they figured. So, after kicking the idea around for the weekend... We decided that we would just do it. Um, So we put the offer in and started the closing process, and when we got back to New York, just started every weekend visiting goat dairies in the area. And that's what they did. They started visiting farms to get a sense of what it would be like to not only milk goats, but to live that lifestyle. They read every book they could get their hands on about goats and the business of farming. When possible, they'd attend farm schools or classes. They joined online forums to learn what they could about cheese making or soap making or anything to do with their new life. And they did all this while still in New York, winding down their careers in fashion and finance. Now that they had their property secured, it was time to pull the plug. Time to walk away from those secure paychecks. But James had learned to assess and manage risk in his job. He was committed to a rural life, but figured maybe, maybe there was a way he could hedge his bet to guarantee that the farm would succeed. So he cut a deal. I had worked out an agreement with um, my boss at the time where I would work for him remotely for three to five years, and that would help us um, kind of finance the farm and also get settled and learn and understand more about what we got ourselves into. Yeah, pretty good idea. I mean, the strategy of keeping one income off farm would allow the race to retain not only an income, but also health care benefits. They'd be able to plan an orderly, smooth transition to farm life while still enjoying the security of his paycheck. Pretty sweet. Well, that was the plan, but... After about six months of being on the farm and having made that agreement and that transition, the company I worked for actually went out of business. I should probably say something here, like a quote about the best laid plans or Murphy's Law or whatever, but either way, that paycheck was gone. 
just like that. And there they were, James and Eileen, on 84 overgrown acres in the middle of Tennessee with no income. That dealt a serious blow to their plan. Not only could they not rely on James's paycheck, the farm was already incurring costs in the form of feed, energy, and other expenses. So every day that went by, their savings dwindled. And with each of their families located 1,200 miles in opposite directions, they had no one to turn to for help. So James had a knee-jerk reaction. What do you expect? He decided to look for a similar job to replace the one he lost. I started looking around a little bit uh, for investment-type jobs here and was just really depressed, kind of knowing that we were here and doing kind of starting the pursuit of our dream. But at the same time, here I am having to kind of restart where I was um, in finance, but that's not what I wanted to do. So I didn't have a whole lot of motivation to actually find a job. Wow, what a curveball. What to do, what to do. Well, we'll find out what James and Eileen did right after this quick break. Hey, it's Tim Young. When my wife and I moved to the country, Layman's.com was one of our first stops. That's where we found the oil lamps, canning supplies, hand crank grain mills, wood cooking stoves, even the emergency supplies that we depend on. Founded in the 1950s, Layman started as a hardware store serving the Amish in Kidron, Ohio. Today, Layman specializes in practical, non-electric goods that will help you live the simpler life you're craving. So even if you work in the city, you can still be a modern homesteader. And Layman's has the nostalgic and practical home decor and kitchen appliances you're looking for. So whether you're looking for time-tested farm and garden tools or off-grid stove and appliances, Layman's has the high-quality products that every farmer, modern homesteader, and prepared person needs. Layman's, for a simpler life. Find them at laymans.com. That's L-E-H-M-A-N-S dot com. So we're back with the story of James and Eileen Ray and the birth of Little Seed Farm. We left off where James had just lost his job. He was depending on the fund, the startup of his farm. I mean, yeah, I can laugh now, but I bet James wasn't laughing back then. I mean, that was a gut-wrenching time for James. He courageously left his New York job. He left his life there to pursue an agrarian dream life. And now he felt trapped. Like maybe he had to find another job, just like the one he had and the one he desperately wanted to flee. It was frustrating. So he and Eileen talked over their options. And fortunately, they lived pretty frugally in New York while preparing to move, or at least frugally compared to most people. So they had managed to put some money aside, just in case. Now they had to make a choice. And they did what entrepreneurs do. They just decided to throw everything they had into the farm business to let it sink or swim. Me and Eileen sat down and um, she had been making cheese and soap, both of which were phenomenal. And I, you know, we kind of agreed that I would make the soap and she would make the cheese and we would give it a shot for a year or two, which is kind of how much we had saved up, you know, enough to get us through. And if it wasn't working out, then we would just go get a job wherever, you know, at McDonald's or something, just, you know, to, to get by in the meantime until the business actually did work out. And just like that, they were off. Back in 2011, the Rays had contrived the plan to leave their jobs and move to the country. 
then that summer, they got married and searched for a few months. Then they found their farmland late in 2011. Then they moved to the farm in the first half of 2012, and James kept his former job, just working remotely. They had picked up a few animals for their farm, but were really just experimenting. You know, goat here, pig or two there, some chickens and guineas. They had planned to slowly build a goat herd that they would later milk to make cheese. But then things changed, suddenly, when James lost his paycheck in late 2012. Now they needed the farm to start generating income. So they came out of the closet in early 2013. They worked together to quickly establish a customer base, and then they revealed their identities to readers. You know, hey, we're James and Eileen. They started milking goats and experimented with making cheese and soap. They had bought some pigs, some rare breed Ossobal pigs, and they had been breeding and growing in the woods. Now some of them were ready for processing, so James and Eileen decided to market some of those as heirloom pork. And they mainly sold these through a Consumer Supported Agriculture, or a CSA program. That's a model where subscribers get to share in the farm's output in exchange for a monthly fee that's paid in advance. That meant that James and Eileen could generate some income now for products they would deliver later. That's how a CSA works. Subscribers share in the risk and the bounty of the farm. If they stuck to their plan of cheese making, it would be a long time though before the farm could support them. You see, to scale a cheese operation, you need more milk. And it takes time to build a herd to increase milk production. Plus, there was another problem with their plan to become cheesemakers. A big problem. Their limited financial resources made it challenging, to say the least, to get their cheese business off the ground. Still, they may not have had much money to invest, but they did have a couple of things in their favor. For one, consumer demand for farmstead products was on the rise. And the locals were showing an interest in Little Siege products. Another thing in their favor was the fact that James and Eileen had well-honed business and marketing skills. So they just kept at it. Each day they milked goats. At first Eileen would use all the milk to make raw milk cheese. But then her grandma came to visit. Her grandmother came and had some dry skin. Um, I think it was on her arm and had asked Eileen, you know, to make some goat's milk soap because she heard it was great for uh, clearing up, you know, skin issues. And she had been trying certain medications that weren't working. And so she came down for a weekend and they just made a batch. And Eileen's grandma loved it. And still to this day, you know, that's all she uses and swears by it. And so we started using it, of course, because when you make one batch of soap, you end up with 20 or 30 bars and that's enough to last for a year and so we were giving it away as Christmas presents and birthday presents and things like that and all of our family members um, similarly loved the soap and actually I was converted basically immediately I never really realized that bar soap could be different um, but you know homemade milk soap is a whole lot different than a bar of soap that you get at the store and uh, makes your skin feel a lot better and um, can actually help with certain skin issues. So I believed in it, and our family believed in it, and Eileen's grandma believed in it. Um, but it never really dawned on us as, you know, something that we would produce uh, as part of the business until, you know, we kind of had to. Hey, what's the saying? Grandma knows best? Can't argue with grandma, so they began making soap. Lots of soap. And James quickly became the soap maker while Eileen focused on the equally critical task of marketing and branding the products. 
She'd sit on a chair in the pasture with her sketch pad and draw the faces of their goats. Sketching had been one of her favorite parts of her fashion design job. Now each goat face would become the image used on a bar of soap. And the nostalgic look of the Little Seed Farm brand was born. So they started selling soap to CSA customers and when selling at farmer's markets. Then they created an Etsy store and began shipping soap. But they were still clinging to the dream of building a raw milk cheese business. They just had trouble letting that go. And the response from customers to the raw milk goat cheese filled them with hope. But they were already selling all their cheese to their 70 CSA members. And it wasn't enough. The Rays needed to expand in order to generate enough business to pay the bills. But expanding the cheese operation required big capital investments, something they had planned to fund with James' off-farm income. The idea was over the course of three to five years with me working my job um, that was based out of New York City, that we would eventually be able to fund that type of investment. That might have been the idea, but now that paycheck and the ability to fund the investment was gone. So they needed capital to invest in a cheesemaking operation. But they had no interest in taking on debt or investors for their farm. As an investment banker, James had sat across the table from enough owners whose businesses weren't performing well. He didn't want to have someone like he used to be breathing down his neck. So that meant one thing. They'd have to change course again. So we just decided to push the soap business. We never, in selling soaps, realized that that would ultimately be all we did. James and Eileen were very purposeful in their choice to become farmers. But it was a series of misfortunes that led them to become soap makers. So while overgrown pastures and a job loss conspired to force them down a different path than artisan cheese, that path still led them where they wanted to go, to a life on the farm. You know, choosing to make soap instead of cheese may have saved the race from having to invest in a cheese operation, but setting up a farm takes a lot of capital in other areas. And that's something the Rays didn't have much of, as they needed to continually reinvest every penny they made back into the farm business. One problem that was confronting the Rays was getting water to their goats. See, James and Eileen practiced rotational grazing, where they moved the goats to a different pasture every day. That often took the animals far away from the main water source. So the Rays needed a way to get water distributed across the farm, but that would cost thousands of dollars. They couldn't risk that much capital at the time. So they looked into grants. Our first grant was from the NRCS, the National Resources Conservation Service, and that's something that's available to everyone in every county, as far as I know, um, in any state. And we worked with our local NRCS, um, you know, county representative to develop a proposal for the grant we received, and that was um, for our water lines. So to have um, 7,000 feet of underground water lines on our farm so that when we're rotating our goats through the pastures, we don't have to bring them water. We can just hook up a hose to, um, you know, basically what's a spigot in the ground and fill up their water troughs. And That grant they received was called an EQIP grant. That stands for Environmental Quality Incentives Program, and it's available to any agricultural producer who earns less than $900,000 a year, which means it's available to most farmers and homesteaders. 
Installation of the water lines made it a cinch for James and Eileen to rotationally graze the goats. But James and Eileen had another dream that's really common to many who seek a self-sufficient lifestyle. They wanted to see an array of solar panels. But that would take even more money. But this was an important part of their dream, so they were willing to invest in it themselves. But they needed help. And they found it. We've also worked more recently uh, with USDA and federal um, incentives to help fund, uh, partially fund, a solar installation on the farm that generates enough solar power for us to um, fully cover our electricity needs. So unlike the Equip grant, which paid for 100% of the water distribution lines, the Rays had to put up money on this. They put up $33,000 of their own money to fund the solar project. Still, that's a lot less than the $75,000 total cost of the project, and they expect to recoup that investment in three to five years. They sized the project to produce 125% of the farm's current energy requirements, so they still have room to grow their business. In the meantime, they're happy to sell power back to the power grid. The incentives and the way it's structured makes it a lot more appealing to sell the energy back to the grid, and then you pull what you're, you need off the grid. In many ways, having their hands forced from cheese to soap may have been a blessing for the Rays. I mean, for one, soap is much more scalable than cheese. It requires less capital and labor to ramp up production of a soap operation than cheese. Although, sales and marketing is a challenge for both. And 10 pounds of goat's milk can be used to make about 20 to 30 pounds of soap. By comparison, 10 pounds of cow's milk will give you, what, a pound, pound and a half of cheese? So soap making has a huge yield advantage over cheese, due mainly to the addition of oils in the soap making process. But you can source and store those oils without capital investment. And that meant that the Rays could scale up a soap business as they went along. And there's another advantage to soap making. As a perishable food, cheese makers have a challenge that soap makers don't product shelf life. It's properly cared for. There's not really a shelf life. We actually have a bar of soap um, in our bathroom right now that we started using that had, that I'd found cleaning out a closet that was from a, one of our very first batches. So it was almost four years old and um, we're using it right now and it's great. Part of the reason that cheese making is so capital intensive is that it's a regulated food product with strict oversight. That requires large investments in stainless steel equipment, climate-controlled aging rooms, facilities, sanitation, and frequent inspections. But the same isn't true for artists in soap making. Really interesting part about making um, soap and any type of cosmetics in the United States is that there isn't regulation. That lack of regulatory oversight may make it easier for a soap business to scale, but James thinks that's not necessarily a good thing for consumers. Because the consumer doesn't necessarily know with 100% certainty how the products are being made, what's going in there, the quality of the ingredients that are going in there, um, and stuff like that. In Asia, for instance, Europe, for instance, the regulations are there and they're strict, and it's more like uh, Department of Ag type oversight. Um, so we do benefit in a lot of respects from uh, not being regulated and not having people in our space. So all this means that businesses such as Little Seed Farm can get started and scale with minimal investment compared to, say, I don't know, an artisan cheese business. 
like the one they wanted to start. But to succeed, artists and soap makers must connect with customers and establish trust. Now James says that's actually an advantage that a small business like Little Seed Farm has. One of the advantages you have of starting a small business is that you can communicate directly to your customers and you have the ability to form um, your brand and, and your message. Brand your message. We often think of corporations and big advertising budgets when we hear the word branding. But the importance of branding is something that many entrepreneurs overlook. I mean, whether it's soap or cheese or heirloom pork, artisan products appeal to a niche market. That's just a fact, due partly to the fact that handcrafted products like artisan products cost much more than their mass-produced alternatives. And new artisan producers are often shocked that they're expected to be skilled marketers on top of everything else, of learning how to milk, how to make cheese and soap, how to farm. But as James and Eileen's success makes clear, branding can be a competitive advantage, even in the world of milking goats. So while James makes the soap, it's Eileen who's keeping a close eye on Little Seed's image and design. That's something that is more of, you know, kind of Eileen's background. And um, she obviously is kind of the lead designer, end all, be all when it comes to what our website looks like, what our products look like, what our um, message is um, to our audience and things like that. So, yeah, here we are in 2016. Little Seed Farm sits on 84 acres in Lebanon, Tennessee. James and Eileen and a handful of employees, they milk 15 goats a day, every day of the week, and use all the milk to make their artisan soap and skincare products. That's it. No cheese, no other farm product. But they're living their farm dream, even if it's not the cheesy life they expected. It's a long way from where they were six years ago, crunching spreadsheets and designing dresses in the Big Apple. When they began, James and Eileen sold only to CSA customers near their farm, but today, they have a busy online store, and their products are on the shelves from New York to California. Achieving that kind of success takes an evolving approach to how they sell. We originally started distributing and selling the soap through farmer's markets, where we also distributed the cheese to the herd share members. And so it was a nice way for us to add additional um, products to our table and to make uh, better use of our time at the farmer's market. So. Um, we also at the time sold eggs and herbs and other things um, because we're there and, you know, wanted to maximize the value of that table space. As we grew and it became more soap oriented, um, we really pursued more of kind of a wholesale model where we produce larger quantities and ship those to retail locations where they would sell to their customers. Um, and then we also built out our website and um, sold through our own kind of e-commerce channel where we would pack and ship all of those orders ourselves. And so that's really kind of the foundation of the business at the moment is um, a combination of selling through other retail locations um, via our wholesale channel and then also selling from our website direct to consumers. Um, we do do a lot of markets still. We do two farmers markets every week. And um, we also participate in larger craft fairs and things of that nature in the region. Um, but the majority of the business is wholesale and um, e-commerce.
the Rays have come a long ways in the last five years, literally and figuratively. I mean, the morning commute with sounds of crowded subways have given way to the soothing rhythm of bleeding goats and milk hitting the pail. When speaking with James, you know, one gets the impression that they made the right choice, at least for them. He and Eileen spend their days working together now, making soap and snapping pictures of the goats and their two young children and share that with adoring fans on social media. It has all the earmarks of a beautiful, idyllic life. But as the Rays have learned, rural life isn't immune to stress. The difference, at least according to James, is that they're more passionate about what they're doing today. And that makes any stress that rears its head much more bearable. There's the normal day-to-day stresses, but overall, it's something that we're super passionate about and the, the work, the so-called work component of it, um, it's more of just a part of your life. I mean, you just do what you need to do when it needs to be done. And if that means making soap on Saturday or cutting soap and stocking soap on Saturday or packing orders on Sunday night or over the holidays, packing orders on Christmas Eve and then milking the goats on Christmas morning. So, the Rays have settled into a farm life, but it's such a different lifestyle that it left me wondering what, if anything, they miss about being in the city. I know for sure Eileen misses, you know, our our friends and the um, proximity of friends. So just being able to, you know, call somebody up and meet them out for a dinner or for a show um, is something that we're not really able to take a lot of advantage of out here. And so there are a few things, but, you know, We always talk about it uh, when anybody asks, which is pretty frequently, that we wouldn't trade what we have now for what we used to have. Um, We wouldn't ever really consider moving back to the city. I mean, we're, we're just really happy out here. James and Eileen set out to pursue a dream they had and that a growing number of people of all ages have. The dream of becoming more self reliant and living a simpler life. But just as they didn't fully comprehend what living this lifestyle would be like until they did it, many people have an incomplete picture of what homesteading and farm life is like. As James says, many people are just taken over by this idyllic dream and view and vision of, oh, your life must just be like walking out in fields of flowers and the goats just milk themselves and some you know, person in a building makes soap for you and, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's very easy to get trapped in this dream lifestyle of farming and what it means. And, and, you know, a lot of that was why we, we got into it. I mean, it's important to have that dream. It's important to know that um, what you're doing is something that you love and to take a step back and to, you know, when you get frustrated, just look at the situation and realize like, hey, I live on a farm, I'm milking goats, I'm living my dream. So yeah, I get it. It's understandable why so many view this lifestyle as so idyllic. There are now thousands of websites, books, and social media pages on farming, homesteading, and self-sufficient living. And no one is uploading pictures of dead chickens to Instagram or Pinterest. Instead, they upload videos of frolicking goats to their Facebook page. Even magazines like Mother Earth News, Hobby Farms, Grit, Countryside, and all the others convey nothing but peace and tranquility on their glossy covers. All this combines to give urbanites an incomplete view of rural life. 
But as James says, he believes it's important to have that dream because he and Eileen have found that the essence of that dream does exist. Even before they had children, they wanted to branch out and do something their kids would be proud of, something that was real. I've never once woken up and thought to myself, you know, damn, I wish I could just get on the subway and go sit in an office and stare at a computer and punch numbers into Excel all day. This milk and goats thing is really wearing on my uh, life. <laughs> you know, it's the opposite. I wake up and think, you know, this is awesome. I'm gonna go milk some goats and hang out and see my family. So that's it. The inspiring story, not of Little Seed Farm, but of two people who set out to live their dream rather than supporting someone else's dream. You should check them out at littleseedfarm.com and support their commitment to sustainable farming and handcrafted artisan soap whenever you get the chance. Before we wrap up and I give you my three key takeaways from this segment, let me remind you that the show notes from this episode are available on my website theselfsufficientlife.com. There's also a complete transcript of this episode if you'd like to read it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And please, please take just a second to leave a review. It helps with the rankings and allows others to learn about a self-sufficient life. So to wrap up, what can we learn from James and Eileen Ray's story? Well, there's a lot we can learn from the Rays, but let me give you three takeaways. Perhaps this will help you if you're stuck in the rat race, dreaming of a better life somewhere else. The first takeaway is simple. Stop dreaming. Start acting. That's what the Rays did, and it started with that dinner conversation. Now what you need is a roadmap, and the first step to creating one is for you to do an assessment. An assessment of where you are now, where you want to be in your life, what obstacles stand between you and your dream, what assets you have available to you. If you need help mapping this out, I've created a free ebook for you to help you chart your path to self-sufficient income. You can find it at theselfsufficientlife.com slash roadmap. And you can learn more about my books, such as How to Make Money Homesteading, and check out the free content that I have that can help you on your way to a self-sufficient life. James and Eileen were decisive. Even though they were already successful, they recognized the path they were on wasn't going to end up where they wanted to go. So they jumped off the merry-go-round. So that's takeaway number one. Stop dreaming. Create a plan to take action. The second takeaway from the race story is this. Start marketing your business and building your brand before opting out. Remember, the race created a website and began blogging more than a year before they planned on quitting their jobs. And there are a lot of benefits to doing that. One, you get months to gain feedback from prospective customers. That feedback can guide you on product demand, pricing sensitivity, common verbiage customers use, and other things like that. And another benefit is search engine optimization, particularly if you have a blog. Even if you only do one blog post per week, that's what, 52 SEO-rich pages that search engines can find in a year. So let's say, I don't know, you like the Rays were stuck in New York or some city. Your plan is to start a farm in you know, North Carolina the following year. Maybe you want to sell grass-fed beef. So you have a year to create pages and posts that are optimized for grass-fed beef in Asheville or whatever market you're going after. The point is, the time to start marketing your business is as soon as you conceive it. Don't wait until you actually have a product. 
It's hard to only pick three takeaways from the race since they've done so much that's right. But here it is, my third and final takeaway. Stay flexible. The Rays were going to invest in a grass-based cow dairy, but the farm they could afford had no grass. And whereas many people would have thrown in the towel right there or told themselves, hey, this is a bad sign, the Rays persevered. They clung to their dream and just said, oh, well, let's milk goats instead. So they set out to build an artisan goat cheese business. Only then, through no fault of his own, James lost his job, lost his paycheck, and they couldn't afford the investment. So they said, oh, well, let's just make soap. Well, I don't know. Maybe grandma said that. I don't know. But the point is, they remained flexible in their approach. They weren't flexible in the sense of surrendering or going back to the city. No, they were determined to make a life on the farm. And now they have. And they have a family. They're working together, milking goats. They're making soap. They're doing something with their hands. Something that their kids will be proud of one day. They figured out something that very few people do. A dream life doesn't just happen to you. It doesn't just come to you. If you want to live your dream, do what the Rays did. Just do it. And opt out today. Alarm wakes me up and I'm right out the door. Fighting traffic in a car that I'm still paying for. A cup of coffee four dollars gone They stick me in a cubicle And now I'm somebody's pawn The concrete jungles all around me There's gotta be a better way I'm sick and tired of staring at a screen all day while strangers teach and watch my children play I'm sick and tired of stressing over which bills to pay Not gonna live my life that way I'm opting out today Oh now today They hand me a paycheck so I can pay all I owe Kids wanna play but I always gotta go